The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well listen to old classic archive shows uh, from previous days. Uh, feel free, and that is at andyanddon.com. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little square. Good morning, Hi, Scott. Scott. Good morning, Don. Good morning. You know, we are certainly seeing a lot of optimism, uh, not only in the media, but people are now out and about. We're seeing more businesses pick up, people on patios, this sort of thing. Is that translating? Are we seeing that in the financial world yet? Is What's the buzz out there? Well, I know that um, recent report was talking about the amount of cash that's sloshing around in people's bank accounts, and I think the number came into about $2.12 billion that has uh, built up. So we're, we're certainly, we're armed and ready <laughs> we just, and waiting. We just have to get out there, and we've got money to spend. Get that second shot. That's the important thing. I know, Don, you wanted to talk about uh, renting versus owning the financial advantage over one to the other. Yeah, kind of the exact opposite of all those people that have a bunch of money in the bank waiting to do something, employ that somewhere. It's uh, it's actually the opposite for the ones that are renting, trying to get into the housing market. Yeah. In fact, if anything I've seen recently is we're actually starting to see people sell their house and downsize. And I can't fault them for that. We haven't seen indications of a, kind of a bubble situation since 2008. A lot of the indicators would be very similar to the 2008, and then when there was a little dip and we went through a recession. And absolutely, history does not necessarily repeat itself in this. These are always, they always look for signs to try to predict, and there's no guaranteed way that it, it, it makes sure that, okay, it's going to stop going up from here, the housing prices. But for those that are renting, yeah, I think when the markets go up 30% in a year, you think, how am I ever going to get in? Well, instead of beating your head against the wall and feeling bad about it, um, and you know you want to get out and enjoy yourself, there is actually a lot of advantages of renting versus owning. And, you know, first of all, there's a lot of things you can save, a lot of cost savings. And if you invest those, you can actually run a, a, a track of wealth that is parallel to owning a house and without the worry of home ownership. And I'm going to go through some of those right now. And, and the first one that comes to mind is just lower house insurance. Uh, we're actually finding home insurance is going up. There's been a lot of uh, claims that have been driven up by climate change. There's some, a lot of water-related claims. And uh, material prices, as we all know, uh, renovations are costing a fortune. So if you were to rebuild your house right now, they're expecting the, the insurance would, would rise because of the price of lumber. So what, owning a house, you're starting to see the uh, cost of insurance house insurance going up. Meanwhile, the cost of rent insurance or just tenant insurance is actually quite low. So quite often you're able to pay for your content insurance as a tenant for 25 bucks a month, but you're easily able to spend $125 a month for homeowner's insurance. So there's a $100 difference a month right there, and that's probably lowballing it. Uh, a lot of people look at this as, well, you know what, uh, especially homeowners are saying, well, I can pay my mortgage payment or I can pay my rent payment. I'd rather have a mortgage payment 
and not give it to somebody owning the house. Uh, well, that's true, but a lot of people forget about the property taxes. And they're a big item. And if, you know, certainly in the Hamilton area, property taxes are quite high. Burlington is a little lower for the same amount of house. But at the same time, it's a, it's a very expensive item. And, and yeah, when you're comparing apples to apples, you've got to make sure you include that. And that's about $400 a month just in property taxes. And then there's upkeep. Well, you always have to do something. And there's kind of the rule of thumb is general upkeep on an annual basis is 1% of the value of the house. And that seems a little high right now because if you think your house has gone from, say, $600,000 a year ago to practically a million dollars now, well, it shouldn't cost you that big leap in housing maintenance just because of that. So a million-dollar home, it would, it would suggest that you'd have to spend 10000 a year for upkeep and maintenance. Well, even if we lowballed it and say, let's just say it's 5000 a year, that's another $400 a month in cost savings for renting, that you can now take that money and put it elsewhere. Um, the nice thing about renting is you cannot upgrade, okay? It's, it's, it's actually backwards. As a homeowner, there's just so many things luring you to buy things. I want to get that hot tub. I need that pool. I want to get that sunroom. What about the deck? The, the home builder's deck isn't as nice. I don't like the uh, home builder's carpet as good as the new carpet. What about the kitchen needs upgrading? There's always something that you can spend money on. You can't do that as a tenant. Now, it looks like it might be, okay, well, you can't do it. It's a bad thing. No, this is a good thing because you can't be lured into buying these things. And you could actually take that funds, have a great trip, and still save money elsewhere. So, yeah, it's easy. So if you're just to say, okay, there's at least a $200 per month cost there. Um, the funny thing is, as a homeowner, you're able to get, and this is a great advantage on paper, this homeowner homeowner's equity line of credit called the HELOC. I know Andy and I have talked about these homeowner equity line of credits a lot because you're able to borrow prime, sometimes prime plus a quarter, maximum prime plus a half. And with interest rates at 2.45, that means even at prime plus a quarter, it's 2.7 on an equity line of credit. Well, on the surface, that looks like a great thing because the tenant can't do that. You can't borrow against your house because you don't own a house. But that being said, you can't borrow as much. You're not as tempted to borrow. And people, when they have this money, they're almost looking at it as an ATM. You're looking at this home as you can simply just cha-ching and you just go into this line of credit so that you can constantly get this, these funds. Because if you're a, a, a tenant, you may be able to borrow up prime plus three. And now, you're not, are you really going to borrow this at 5.45 and maybe you're not going to help the kids as much? It's just another hurdle to make you think about lending the money out or buying something that you probably shouldn't get. So those higher rates make it less tempting to get into debt. So there's no actual cost to that. It's more of a mindset, so I won't add any money there. Um, also, being a tenant, it's certainly if you're in between jobs, and certainly after this pandemic, it's going to be interesting to see, do you go back to the same office? Maybe your employer moved. There's a lot of office space that has downsized during the last year, and maybe they're going to move to a different place because they don't have to be in downtown Toronto anymore. Maybe they're going to move, who knows, Thunder Bay. And uh, as a tenant, you can simply get up and go there if you so desire. Now, Thunder Bay may be not your choice of places to move to, but no offense, Thunder Bay, but uh, maybe it could be somewhere else. But the bottom line is you won't. You, it's easier to, than simply having to sell your house. And there's almost a stigma about having to sell your house to move to another job. And number seven, 
you know, it's as a as a car owner, you know, simply if you have a driveway, you can easily fix it, put a couple cars in that driveway. But as a tenant, sometimes it's it's more difficult. Often there's only one parking spot, so you'll find a lot of tenants will try to get public transit or something so that they won't they'll live with one car. So it's another cost saving that you know owning a car with car payments, insurance, maintenance, and gas is easily 800 a month. I won't even include that. But if you just take four of those items, insurance, taxes, upkeep, and and the lack of being able to upgrade, that's $1,100 a month in savings by renting versus owning. Now, the hard part here is being as a a tenant is doing something with that $1,100 a month. It's so easy to simply spend that. The nice thing about home ownership is you have to make that mortgage payment. You have to, you have no choice. Things happen and you have to fix it up. And so self-discipline is a hard thing. But if you were to say, I'm going to take that 1100 a month and I'm going to pretend I'm going to own a house, but except this time to, instead of borrowing for a house, I'm going to borrow and invest it. Now I'm not going to use the whole 1100 a month. I'm only going to do 500 a month. So if you're going to take a 25 year investment loan at prime plus one, which is 3.45%, you could actually borrow 100000 right now and invest it. And if that money grew at 7% for the next 10 years, it would double. And by the way, all that interest, as, as opposed to your house, that interest is now tax deductible. So now you have $3,400 of tax savings every year at a 43% tax bracket. That's going to save you $1,500 a year in tax savings that you could then invest also. And that would grow in 10 years to $20,000. But I didn't, I didn't use up all your money. There's still $600 left out of that 1100 So let's say we take that 600 and put that into a tax-free savings account, again, at 7%. That would also grow to $100,000. So over the course of 10 years, between the investment loan, investing the tax savings, and just simply investing 600 a month into a TFSA, you've now grown another $250,000 to your, to your nest egg in 10 years. Now, again, there is that tax-free portion of a house that's, you know, you can't deny that's a great thing that Canada offers, a principal resident rule that you will not have by investing. But on this point, you also get to deduct the interest on investing for, for a debt, very similar to in the U.S. where you hear people can write off the interest off their tax return. This is what it's like for, for this situation. Now, that's in 10 years. If you did this for 20 years, so he said, you know what? I'm going to be a tenant forever. Forget this home ownership. I'm going to take that $1,100 a month, and I'm going to keep doing this. And you did this for 20 years, including the tax. You would actually have $640,000 after paying the tax on the capital gains. And the thing is, When it comes to selling your investments, you don't have to trigger it all in one year. Not like selling a house. You can't sell part of a house. So therefore, you could trigger the capital gains over lots of years. But in a worst-case scenario, you sold everything off at one shot. The TFSA would be tax-free. You would pay some capital gains. But in your pocket, you would have $640,000. And you have the choice. Do you want to house a house or do you want to be a tenant? You can now weigh the difference. But the biggest difference between these two is discipline. And that's where a financial planner could come into play. 
We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're going to take a quick break. Coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to talk about estate planning and joint ownership this segment yeah scott we it was um you know as don and i will we often get we do get our calls from listeners and uh just trying to explore what their options are in some sort of with, with respect to a financial situation that they've got and it's bubbled up to the surface and uh, so in a couple of meetings with a potential client over the last month or so, it just sort of, you know, sharing the story about how situations unfold and what some of the solutions are. And in this story, it was um, the daughter who was calling about um, her mom and uh, her mother, uh, and this, her mother is 95, by the way, and the daughter is 65. Uh, but the mother, who's now 95, um, two years ago, uh, she was widowed at age 93. And so uh, living in Hamilton and, and the home, the principal residence that they had, had then uh, reverted to the, the mom uh, in her name only. And it was worth about $600,000 uh, at the time. And so the mom, the 95-year-old, just, you know, really just wanted to stay in, in her own home uh, as long as possible still. And uh, But when she sold it, she wanted to give gift half of it to her daughter and half of it to her granddaughter. So now just sort of framework of the family then. So this is the, the mother, uh, 95-year-old. The daughter, who's 65, is married and uh, has one daughter, the granddaughter. And the granddaughter is age 35, and she's married as well. And there's one uh, great-granddaughter. So... Um, the daughter, 65-year-old, is the power of attorney for her mom, the 95-year-old, as well. So uh, mom, 95-year-old, wants to gift half the value of the home when she uh, leaves and half to her granddaughter. So that was two years ago. So at the time, though, her mom, the mom was starting to have some memory issues, and uh, which, you know, at 95... We all have, it, it, it's not unlikely, and um, it's more common as well. So now in recent times, so six months ago, just sort of at the beginning of the year, the um, mother moved into long-term care. So her, you know, her memory had failed enough that she needed ongoing care, couldn't be independent in the home anymore. And, uh, and, and you know, today has good days and bad days, as all people do with dementia or um uh, you know, cognitive issues. And uh, so you never know. And, but, um, so then now flash forward to a month ago and the house was sold by the power of attorney, uh, the daughter. And um, it, the value of course had gone up. It was now about $750,000. And uh, 
uh, as Don had mentioned in the previous section too. It's a principal residence, so no tax implications to that. And uh, and the person, well, the, and of course the um, her will, the the mother's will, the ninety five year old says that everything goes to the daughter as sole beneficiary. So we have a couple of things happening. We want the, the, the mother, the grandmother, in this case, wanted the granddaughter to get half the value of the house and her daughter. Uh, and the, But the will says that everything goes to the daughter upon at her death. And so the question now, you know, when you start thinking about um, capacity is, can the gift to the granddaughter still be done? So, you know, can half the value of the house, that's $375,000, be given to the granddaughter based on mom's capacity now? And um, so, as I say, you know, you have good days and bad days. And, you know, this is where, in the big scheme of things, where senior financial abuse can often creep into situations. And really, when you're thinking about from from the court's perspective and from the public service perspective, they're thinking about... Will will the grandmother need it? Will the 95-year-old still need that money in terms of being able to maintain herself and her living? Now, in this situation, it looks like there's enough money from a cash flow perspective to be able to maintain her in the uh, in the long-term care facility. Um, but you never know how long someone's going to live. Right? It, this could be a 10-year process or it could be a 10-month process. We, we don't know. And um, so... Senior financial abuse, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the scams that are going on later on as well. But uh, so also sort of some background on this. So 10 years ago, the daughter had been uh, added as a joint account owner on a non-registered. So the 95-year-old mom and, and the dad that was alive at the time had put money into a joint account with the daughter. And the goal of that was to allow the daughter to manage their affairs, essentially, um, and in fact, uh, after her father's death, the, the, the mother continued to report all the interest, etc., the T3s and the T5s on that joint account. So in essence, it wasn't impacting the daughter from a tax perspective. But what's, what's key about that issue is that at the mother's death, the grandmother's death, this 95-year-old, that that joint account doesn't necessarily revert to the daughter it will form what's called a resulting trust. And a resulting trust in a state law essentially just sort of uh, overwrites that joint ownership and that capital that's in that non-registered account basically reverts back to the estate and would be distributed based on the will. So the daughter's going to get the money anyway. That's not an issue. But now the estate is going to be subject to paying probate tax on that non-registered account uh, where in the in theory, they thought that that was sort of insulated from it. So joint ownership doesn't always protect this uh, and, and eliminate probate as well. You have to be very careful. Now, um, grandmother, 95-year-old, also had a tax-free savings account, and she had named in, in previously uh, the daughter as the beneficiary. So that's great, and that's a tax-free rollover. No probate tax there, no income tax owing on the estate, and that can flow through to the daughter directly. Now, as an aside... For anybody, any senior, it always makes sense to consider beneficiaries on your RIF as well. It might be a spouse. Uh, it can also be children as well, but also life insurance as well. Just reviewing your beneficiaries on your life insurance policies, because that can bypass your estate and avoid probate tax as well. <clears throat> um, 
Don, I know you're just going to jump in on here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, I just recently had, an, unfortunately, a client pass away, and the beneficiary w- went to their institution, and it was a tax-free savings account. And the bank person that looked after and said you needed a copy of the will to have this transferred to the beneficiary, which was the ben- this person. And uh, I said not to. So be careful. It's, it's, it's nice to be armed with the proper information because you do not need – uh, a pro- probated will, as you mentioned, or, or even a copy of the will to give to the bank if there's a beneficiary. All you need is a death certificate. And so she went back a second time with the death certificate, talked to the manager, and yes, that was all she did need. So again, it, it is nice to kind of be in the know and not always um, believe whatever the that person is telling you at that institution. Yeah, exactly. Now, something that was uh, very important to Grandma uh, uh, you know, two years ago when these discussions were happening when she became widowed. But uh, she was very concerned about the granddaughter's marriage, and uh, and the daughter agreed as well. Like the granddaughter's uh, situation uh, was uncertain. And uh, so marriage breakdown in terms of this gift of 375000 sort of bubbled up to the surface as a big concern as well. How, how can we do that? Is there a way to protect our granddaughter uh, as well? So... Um, when it comes to then dispersing that money, that 375000 one thing that's going to have to happen is, first of all, her capacity. And so as she sits in front of the lawyer or in terms of dealing with a lawyer for dispersing the proceeds from the house, uh, the lawyer is going to have to make a decision about capacity. And lawyers are well-trained to understand uh, and determine the facts around it and to make sure that capacity exists. And if capacity doesn't exist, then... Um, it, it may have to be held in trust so or until such time as uh, as she passes so um, but assuming that she maybe has a good day and seems uh, very aware of what she's doing in terms of the decisions uh, she could do a loan arrangement to the granddaughter and then have that forgiven at death uh, instead of having to be paid back and we've talked about this before on the radio but um, the loan arrangement is an excellent way to sort of help protect those from marriage breakdown. But uh, it's interesting that the courts have even looked at this type of arrangement. And even though you might have a, a promissory note that's, that describes the loan, that it's potentially not even sufficient to protect it from being shared asset. Because if there's no evidence that the loan was ever meant to be repaid, then it may not actually be a loan. And so it's an interesting way the courts will look at it. And the sort of phrasing is is that a moral obligation to repay money is not does not qualify as a debt, right? Uh, so it, it's an interesting twist on what the courts are how they're assessing this in terms of um, marriage breakdown and shareable assets. So um, the other option too is that the uh, grandmother could uh, assign a letter of direction and make those house proceeds payable to the daughter and not gift any money to the granddaughter. And then maybe the daughter then enters into the loan arrangement with the, with the granddaughter. And that way, um, her capacity and being able to follow through and manage that loan over, over the following years is, uh, is going to be more important. Because really, the, the, mom, the grandmother at 95, you know, is not, uh, you know, we don't know how many, if she died next year, for example, and that loan was forgiven in her will, then it could end up being shareable uh, in case of marriage breakdown. So 
perhaps gifting to the daughter right now, and then the, the daughter enters into a, a loan arrangement with the granddaughter. So how do you protect money? You know, probably the key things when you're inheriting money or receiving a gift or a loan arrangement, you got to keep the assets in your own name. There's sort of six steps I'll quickly run through here. If you make your spouse a co-owner, it basically opens up those assets to equalization. Number two, do not invest the assets in the family home. In Ontario, that means it's basically going to be a shareable asset. There's no way to protect that from marriage breakdown. Number three, do not change the form of the asset into a family asset, you know, buying a joint car or vehicle or property, um, and either through selling it and purchasing it or of a family asset in exchange for a family asset. Number four, uh, if it's a gift or inheritance of money, do not put the money in a shared bank account that is used for any family purpose. So if you're receiving the money, it has to go into a separate account just in your name. Number five, uh, if the form uh, of an asset is changed, so you're sell- selling a mutual fund, let's say, and buying um, an RV, <laughs> uh, be sure to retain evidence of how that gift or inheritance was used and acquired. There has to be a paper trail so that you can prove that that asset came through that. It has to be traceable. And number six, ensure that when the gift is received, that there is a statement made by the donor on their intention for the gift to only benefit the one spouse. All right. So, you know, there's a lot of layers to this. It's not so simple, right, all the time. And for Don and I, it's really just about making sure that people are aware of this, that we can cross the T's and dot the I's. Everybody's going to weigh their own level of, um, uh, you know, of concern or how important this is in terms of, uh, of a strategy. And then that'll dictate sort of how deep you want to go in terms of structuring it properly. Um, but, you know, I, I think at the end of the day that everybody has a unique situation, but, um, it, and, it, and it really is, uh, estate planning is a fascinating thing where uh, you're not trying to, you're always trying to minimize tax, but you're also trying to fulfill those goals and dreams in terms of how that money's passed on. But I was, you know, we're talking about inheritance, and I just sort of, uh, something came across. I was in the office the other day, and I was picking up, uh, up my mail, and I had received a fax that, um, that was very important. And it basically came from Mr. Uh, Francis Montague, a partner at the Bennett Law Firm based in Bristol. And it was, it's to my understanding, that a long-lost relative by the name <laughs> of Alan Lister, uh, who had a policyholder in the UK, and he was an independent oil magnate, uh, died in a car accident recently, nine years ago, and I had been traced to be the only living relative to Alan. And in fact, there is $10,820,000 U.S. sitting, waiting for me to collect. Congratulations, Andy. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. And so, so is this the last you know, show? Is this the last show that you'll ever be doing? That's it. We'll never hear from you again? That's <laughs> it. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I got to go over to England now and pick up my check. Uh, and apparently, there's a processing fee, and uh, so I've got to pay about twenty six grand just so that they can process the transfer of this money to me. Now, <laughs> I'm being kind of joking here, but the, you know, the, the amount of frauds, uh, particularly this inheritance fraud, has doubled over the last year. Uh, it's incredible the amount of reports that are coming through. And basically, it's a scam. It is a long-lost relative has apparently died. You're the one that's the final survivor and that you can pay a processing fee to get this money sent to you. So anyway, be careful out there. Uh, financial abuse exists in all levels. 
And uh, if people aren't talking about it or if they're hesitant about talking about money, if you're sensing anything is going wrong, that's sort of one of the key signs that um, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. It's okay to ask them, you know, are, are you all right? Is everything okay? Uh, anyway, financial planning is, is, is key, to, I think, to keeping in touch with your financial planner is the key to sort of minimizing access or stress in all of these situations. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They will get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. All right, this time out, we're going to talk about, uh, have we done this before, post-pandemic, almost summer? What does that mean? Yes, we did touch on this a little bit a few weeks ago. Good memory, Scott. And I don't know if anybody's watching a little bit of NHL playoffs right now. And with uh, the Habs playing Vegas and Tampa um, playing, and it's like, wow, the U.S., it's rocking there. It's like a nor- it's, everything's normal. Um, no masks on in the stands. And I'm thinking that may be a vision of where we are soon. And I know there's a lot of pent-up energy, as we said earlier, of people waiting to get going and having their summer. And, and again, I'm sure a lot of you uh, listeners have already had their second vaccine. And if not, they're already booked. And I know mine's uh, coming up this weekend, actually, just uh, uh, tomorrow, so Sunday. So it's, uh, yes, uh, summer's here. And it's interesting, the American is, because of this pandemic, one out of 10 Americans have wiped out their savings due to the pandemic. And it's like, okay, what do we do now? And I don't think, I, I would think the Canadians might be in a similar, depending on your job, you could be in a very similar area. So there's a few things you should look at. First thing you should do is go check out your credit score, just to see how you made out over this whole pandemic. Um, a good credit score is between 760 and 900. That's like awesome. And very good is 725 to 759. 660 to 724 is good. But once you're in under that 660, you start to lose your benefit of qualifying for lower interest rates or even getting credit. So under 560 is actually poor and you'll probably be declined. So it's a good time to say, okay, how did I make out from a credit worthiness? Uh, Second, maybe you want to check out those reoccurring expenses. Are you really using them all? Did you sign up for a lot of streaming services or apps or things over this pandemic that you really aren't using? So maybe you want to just say, okay, I'm going to delete those ones so they don't show up every month. They nickel and dime your credit card, okay? They may only be a few dollars, but multiply that by 10 or 20 of them, it adds up. Um, it's also good to, this is a great time to say, okay, what are my fixed costs per month and what are my variable costs? And those variable costs are your entertainment holidays and really your impulse buying. So once you find out what your leftover money is, you say, okay, that money can go towards variable costs. And do I really want need to spend on impulse Amazon, like last week was Amazon Day or whatever they call that, and maybe you got onto the online and bought a bunch of sweatpants or who knows what they're selling you there. Um, number four is the ditch 
or maybe curb that vice that has taken hold of you over this pandemic. Alcohol has gone up. Cigarettes have gone up. Lottery ticket sales have gone up. So maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to back off a bit and maybe get back to the pre-pandemic kind of uh, vices. And maybe if you can slow those down, that would also save money. And if you did dip into your RSPs, as a lot of people had to during the pandemic, it's a good time to say, okay, I'm going to start thinking about how to pay it back. And finally, a lot of people were getting gift cards during this pandemic, for, um, and they never went shopping. They like to touch and feel stuff. So, you know, get that stack of gift, card, gift cards over the two Christmases or one Christmas, depending on how many gift cards you have, and, uh, and use them. So there's a whole ton of people, because we can. I, I went up uh, camping up to uh, Killarney, and there's a ton of people out there camping right now, and everybody's not doing road trips. And so, and also the U.S. is going to be opening soon, and especially for people with double vaccinations. So it, down in the U.S., it's like r- car rental apocalypse right now. A lot of these places have sold off 30 to 40% of their fleet, so the prices are gone to the roof. So make sure you plan your trips. Hotel costs, some of the hotels, depending on where you go, particularly in the States, are up 150% in terms of cost right now, because they're trying to make up for lost time, basically. they 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 got to make more money. There's a huge demand, and their cost, they're charging activity fees. So be very careful about this. Even sitting by the pool, there's a reservation fee these days. And you will have to pay X amount of dollars simply to relax and do nothing. So, and, and even um, our rent by owner, they've had their best quarter in the U.S. in the last quarter now. And to travel around, gas prices are higher because we, you know, we haven't done a lot of traveling. So maybe you haven't even filled up. You're filling up the tank once a month. Now it might be like I'm going to go on a road trip, and you say, "Oh, that's going to cost me a bit more money." So it might be okay. I know everybody's tied back up, and and say, "Okay, do I take this road trip?" Well, just plan it. It really comes down to if you don't plan, you're going to pay a lot of extra. Or the other option, a lot of people spend a lot of money in renovating their house and put on that new deck or sunroom. Maybe this will be just a year to simply enjoy it. So have a great summer, everyone. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, we're going to finish off with the 2021 Financial Stress Index. What is this? What is this? Um, well, this is a report that was provided to uh, to financial planners by FP Canada. FP Canada, Financial Planning Canada, is our oversight body that looks make sure that we're all compliant and doing and licensed properly, etc. And also protects the public uh, in case there's complaints about financial planners as well. But they they um, commissioned Leger to do a report or study on the stress levels, financial stress levels of Canadians over the last uh, 12 months. And this was um, 
1,500 Canadians from across the country that were surveyed in May of 2020. And they um, uh, were just releasing the results now, but just to share kind of what is going on and how we're feeling about our financial lives as well. So right now, overall, two in five, two in five, that's 40% of Canadians are stating that money is their number one stress right now. And what's fascinating to me about that is that here we are, you know, in the middle of a, of a pandemic still, and yet it's financial stress, even over health stress in terms of the priorities for Canadians. And so what is the cause? And we sort of identified the, the four main things of financial stress for everybody right now, but um, or sorry, stress in general. Uh, but 38% identified money as one of the, the top stresses. Uh, 26% identified personal health. 20% uh, said work is their stress, and then 15% in terms of relationships. So we're doing well on the relationship front, which is nice to see, but not so well on the financial money side as well. And, you know, stress has impacts in our lives in many different ways. And what so in terms of how that's affecting us, uh, the biggest impact of financial stress is our health issues. So it, it basically causes more uh more health-related issues popping up when we have that kind of financial stress. Number uh, two is uh, marriage and relationship problems. 15% uh, is increased because of financial stress. Family disputes are increased by 15%. Distracted at work and reduced productivity because of financial stress, 14%. And then substance abuse and mental health challenges, 7%. Now, I know... Uh, you know, some clients that, that I have that are involved in public health and mental health counselors have been busier than ever talking to people about uh, many aspects of these stresses that they've been dealing with. Um, so what would happen if you had a comprehensive financial plan that a CFP, a certified financial planner, created for you? And how would that impact your level of stress? And uh so we know that part of the survey was to understand that those Canadians that are working with a CFP planner, how are they responding to their levels of stress as well? So the first question was asked is, you know, money is my top cause of stress. Well, 39%, you say, without a planner, say that that's the number one issue uh, that, uh, for them. And only 23% uh, with, that have a planner would say that. That's a 41% improvement in terms of people feeling stress. Number two was, I've lost sleep because of financial worries. 52% of people without a CFP planner would uh, state that. Only 40% uh, would say that with a planner. So that's a 23% lift. And the next one was, my financial stress has led to health issues. 31% without a planner, 20% with a planner. So that's a 35% improvement. And finally, I feel more hopeful about my financial future today. Uh, 56% without a financial planner, 73% with a planner, which is a 30% lift. So overall, kind of 30% was, yeah. The only one that was kind of not a big difference was losing sleep at night. So, Don, we can't solve everything. But nope. uh, you know, as, far as, as far as reducing stress, we're doing... Insomnia is insomnia. We just, you got to go to a sleep expert for that, it turns out. That's <laughs> right. Uh, and then they also tried to identify where there are different stresses across the country. And as you can imagine, each province has had its own issues. Um, but BC are pretty chill. You know, only 37% say that financial stress has, uh, has led to health issues for them. 
now in Ontario, uh, 84% of Ontarians say that they are having financial regrets. So, and then, uh, of course, in Alberta, and uh, the western provinces there, that um, it's retirement and debt and bills that have uh, caused them the most stress. So a little bit different as you step across the country. Now, the, the next part of the survey was, you know, what are the steps and are we taking the right steps to keep our financial stress in check? And generally, the survey or the people surveyed, it's, they knew what they should be doing. They knew what the actions are or the strategies. But the question was, were they actually doing it? And uh, so number one, which was paying down debt, was interesting. 39% of people said that is a, that should be a priority step to, re- to reduce my stress. And actually, 39% are actually doing it. And then uh, tracking expenses was uh, one improvement where people are actually doing more in terms of improving that. And, uh, but in every other category, saving more, creating an emergency fund, and building a financial plan, everybody recognizes it's going to reduce their stress, but less than half of us are actually doing it. So it's tough to get motivated. Procrastination is a big roadblock for a lot of us in terms of financial stress. But uh, talk to your CFP professional. We can help you sleep at night. I'm sure of it. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. They'll get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com for old archive shows. Or you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to see you again. We'll chat next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.